out there in the galaxy, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of the galaxy far, far away. All the things, the places, the concepts, the yeah. stuff. I time tripping over my words. The whole thing about it is you're they here. Get the, they You've get probably the been here before. This is the yeah. 55th episode of this nonsense. We've been doing pretty good. Doesn't that seem kind of crazy? It is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just so you know, my name is Mac, and I am joined by my fellow moisture farmer, Ross. Mac, great to be here farming some moisture. Uh, we're gonna really get that water out of the air. We have really to evaporate. Gonna try hard. It's important. I mean, how else will we survive if we don't? How will the people in Anchorhead, mm-hmm. Moss Eisley, mm-hmm. how will they get by without mm-hmm. their fresh mm-hmm. crop of water? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I don't think the huts are providing clean drinking water. You know, when they say harvest time, do you assume that's just like getting like a water truck and just like hooking up the hose and just yanking all the water out of the evaporators? I would like to assume that it's just those evaporators are always grabbing water, but there's a certain time of year when they get more. And that's when mm-hmm. they have to go and empty them or something. Gotcha. So, so it's the wet season where the the moisture content is yes. in the double digits for a few days. Yes, that's a good way to put it. The wet season. Now that's, we're talking yeah. a lot about moisture farming because that's kind of where we're gonna go. We're gonna go yeah. look at the times and places around Luke's upbringing. We're gonna take a look at Tatooine. Yeah. When Luke was growing up. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about starting out with his friends. You know, who does Luke know? We know he knows Biggs. But beyond Mm -hmm. that, who are Luke's other friends? You know, who does he want to fool around with before his chores are done? All those questions, we've got answers. And a little spoiler, they're the kind of people that he hot rods airspeeders with, like the T-16 Skyhopper Mm -hmm. that they fly through Beggar's Canyon. So we're going to talk a little bit about that particular ship. Mm -hmm. We are. And then finally, we'll land that ship by talking about the Sarlacc, another uh, installation, a classic on Tatooine. Do you think Luke knew about the Sarlacc before... He left Tatooine the first time? Assuming there's a warning on maps of like, ah. don't go too near to the Great Pit of Carcoon. That probably makes sense. There's, yeah. there's teeth there. You mm-hmm. don't want to be there. Stay away from those teeth. If you get it at the right time, there's even a beak there, I hear. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Uh, we'll talk about it. And then it burps and it's got a nauseous breath. <laughs> and we're going to get into all of that in just a moment. no battle hotshot they're just sitting there probably a freighter tanker refueling but there was a lot of firing earlier hey i tell you luke the rebellion's a long way from here this planet big hunk of nothing i doubt if the emperor would even fight to save the system hey you watch it don't worry about it for me so luke didn't have exactly a lonely childhood there on tatooine he had some friends mm-hmm. friends who well, you know, you know how it is when you're when you're a local, you make friends with the people that are your age and you just hope for the best. They're not yeah. all winners. No, they might not be. But when your options are a rock evaporator 
or you know the kids all around Anchorhead, yeah, you're gonna pick the you know the best thing you can get, right? You know the funny thing about it is I I was kind of thinking about this like. Do you think they're, would you call them school chums? It doesn't seem like Luke went to, like, you know, Imperial High School. Yeah, I mean, we know that Luke's goal is to get off the planet to the, you know, Royal Academy. He he right. wants to basically learn a skill, learn a trade, basically. He wants to go to college, go, yes. go, go to Space West Point. Yeah, I, am, I imagine that on Tatooine, they don't really have a great school system. Um, it's probably, you know, that the parents raise them or, you know, in this case, auntie and uncle, and, uh, they teach them what they can, but mostly probably just the skills to work on the farm. You know, they teach them Mm -hmm. to read and to write and to talk and to work. And that's probably it. And that's it. I mean, you know, Luke is not, uh, I mean, he's a pilot, you know, they teach him to fly. That's true. Uh, so he does learn that skill, but I mean, even though he you still know. didn't learn that, you know, jumping through hyperspace isn't like dusting crops. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's what I've been heard. That's what I've heard. So here's my yeah. question. Do you think that's what, what the Skyhopper is for? Well, we'll get into that later. We'll but I'm that. like, I'm just thinking of like, how do you crop dust moisture? <laughs> Wouldn't that just be putting water in the air? And isn't that the whole point of what you... Anyway, well, the point of that just... is, I know one thing that moisture evaporators do need. They need power converters. They sure do and when it comes to power converters mac where is the best place in tatooine you could get those uh you know if you live out by on the edge of the dune sea yeah anchorhead your best spot uh it anchorhead okay now if i'm there's heading this, towards anchorhead where would i go there's a great little shop called tashi station oh okay what do they have there um junk just actually pretty much junk you actually might be better off with a jawa but listen there's a rastabout group of teenagers there <laughs> That's got to lead to good things, right? I'm sure. The teens hanging out, being teens. Just hanging out, having a good time. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about Luke's friends. Um, Now, Luke's friends were something that was, I think, far more important through the eras of legends. Mm, Because they were in more um, primary sources, let's say, Mm -hmm, at that mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm. So let's just let's set the ground rules as we spiral out of current (laughs) Disney approved canon. Sure. In Disney approved canon... Uh, Luke has two friends. <laughs> he has Big Starklighter, sure, who is a relatively, you know, uh, minor but noticeable character in the franchise. We know Biggs. We like Biggs. We love Biggs. He's got a great stash, nice cape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's, he's like he's like a proto Lando. It's yeah. like like he's looked at he's heard about this Calrissian guy and yeah. some of his style guide, and yeah. he's like, I should do some of that. <laughs> a nice stash. He's read the Calrissian the Chronicles. He's, he's He's modeling his style after the great sportsman. Now I just see that it's like, like Luke, when I was at the Academy, I, I met some friends and I've decided to defect to the rebellion. How did you come to that? I live to learn to live my life out loud. Have you ever read the Calrissian Chronicles? Guy in college, we were talking up once on Spice and he was showing it to me and I was like, it opened my mind, man. Now I understood what I wanted to do. I wanted to fight for freedom in a cool cape. Do you know how much... That cape would help me succeed. It would just catapult me right to the top of the success chain. That's how you get ahead, Luke. Yeah. You got to get yourself yeah. some style. Yeah. So we mostly saw, uh, we were talking actually this a little bit beforehand. Like, Biggs is kind of interesting. We'll do a whole, like, segment on him at some point. But Biggs is interesting because his role keeps getting bigger the longer the franchise has existed. Because <laughs> in the beginning, we get to learn about Luke's two friends when he said... 
says to Uncle Owen, Uncle Owen's like, you can transfer the Academy next year. And he goes, yeah, that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left. And we hear those two names, and we assume those are Luke's friends who went Mm -hmm. to the Academy. And Luke seems to really want to get to Tashi Station, where, you know, Uncle Owen says you can mess around with your friends later, which kind of tells us that they must be like him, someone who swoops in these, like, you know, land speeders mm-hmm. and, you know, living life. The, the kind of people that George Lucas was living up with, with their heads to the horizon, right? Looking right. out to the sunsets. Hot rotting technology, living yeah. life fast, you know. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that there's something greater out there for them than what they currently have. Right. So we know that Biggs and Tank left. They got to the Academy. So mm-hmm. they, they've mm-hmm. achieved what Luke hasn't. Luke's feeling very left behind. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where we leave it because Luke, I don't know, he goes on some misadventures, loses his house, he meets mm-hmm. an old man who hangs out with him. Yeah. You know, gets old... radicalized by the murder of his family. You know, yeah, yeah. classic kid stuff. Classic kid stuff. But towards the end of the movie, we see Luke flying in formation with his X-Wings doing the attack on the Death Star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at some point, he's like, all right, he's ready for our attack ra- run. And he says, Big- Biggs is like, do you think we can, you know, actually do this? And he's like, listen, Biggs, this is going to be like our, you know, it's going to be like running Ca- Beggar's Canyon back home. And mm-hmm. they swoop in. And you're like, I mm-hmm. guess that's the Biggs he was talking about earlier in the film in that throwaway line that I probably didn't remember <laughs> on my first watch. And they fly around, and then Biggs gets blown up, and Luke feels really sad about it, and it's supposed to be this poignant moment of making the stakes feel real, because it's not just these pilots we are just meeting. This is someone Luke knows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when the special edition came out, they added a cut scene that was in the original version of the film before they edited it out, where in the hangar on Yavin 4, Mm -hmm. he meets Biggs, and Biggs (laughs) is like, hey, Luke, you made it, we are... We're going to do this like we always talked about. We're going to go fight the Empire. Mm-hmm. And so you get that real warm reconnect of like, okay, his his childhood best friend is going to be fighting alongside him. This is what they've always dreamed of, which makes that moment when Biggs dies even more poignant in yes. the sense that like, oh, this is real. This is yes. my, my childhood friend who we're going to fight the universe together. He didn't make it. So maybe I won't make it. <laughs> Yeah, it gives uh, it gives some purpose to, you know, the sacrifice that is made by the pilots there by mm-hmm. giving a personal connection. Um, I mean, the scene added with Biggs in the special edition, it's funny to think of it as an added scene because it's something that feels like it's always been there. And they didn't need uh, any additional CGI to put that one in. <laughs> Just had to touch it up a tad. I've always thought that like that and the Cloud City windows in Empire are like the least controversial changes in the suit. <laughs> In the entire franchise of like, yeah, I think they're probably up there, right? What yeah. else? What else do people really like? Hmm. I like when they get out of Moss Eisley when they like have the Falcon turnaround, mm. so you know that it's like an open air. So you see it, port. it actually take off, yeah, rather yes, than yes, just yes, the yes, far yes, away. Because yes. it used to be you would see it start to yes. to them all like you know Han flipping switches, hear the engine roar up, and then yeah. you'd see these the far shot where yeah. the stormtroopers are like looking at the sky as the thing streaks off. I like the dewbacks. Dewbacks are I good. I like the added dewbacks. Yeah, just because you get to really see them move and Make it get up good. close. Yeah, the the yeah. Okay. I think the stuff that's not controversial is the stuff that is just additional tapestry mm-hmm. and stuff that doesn't make you question the the like the little probe droid hanging out with the stormtroopers when they're questioning him. I don't really mind that, but I also can see that someone that would take them out of the movie because mm-hmm. here's this 1997 CGI in a 1977 movie. Mm-hmm. Totally. But, um. 
there was more material that they did not use. There was. So this is something else that we got to see later on. I believe we first saw this during the Blu-ray release, if I remember correctly. Well, Do on, you know? so there is one more place. Now, if you listen to one of the first episodes I did where it was just be me by myself, I talked about the CD-ROM multimedia project of Behind the Magic, oh. which had... I don't know, AVI files buried inside a CD-ROM that showed you some of these scenes. That's the first place I saw them. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So So what we're talking about here, if you don't know, there's about a five and a half minute scene that was cut from the original film, basically for pacing reasons. Mm -hmm. That is Luke uh, basically in his day-to-day life. The idea behind it was simply that, you know, you want to create this personal connection with Luke. Who is he when he's just a regular kid? And to fix one of the primary, like, screenwriting rules that they break in Star Wars, which is you always want to meet your protagonist within the first, like, five, ten minutes. Which and is... we don't meet Luke until, like, minute, like, 15 to 20. Yeah. So very different structure than your typical plot, but mm-hmm. it's setting up the universe. So the purpose of this five-odd-minute scene was to get to know Luke. And you see him. He First, he's looking up at the sky, you know, just like mm-hmm. before. He was working on a moisture evaporator out in the fields. He's got his little counterpart, his little droid friend. A little Treadwell. Yeah. yeah. And he looks up to the sky, and he sees a space battle. So he quickly hurries on over to Tashi Station to basically tell his friends, runs into the station, tells him, hey, hey, hurry up, hurry up, come see this, look alive. And then all of a sudden he forgets what he's doing because he sees Biggs there, who he thought, you know, was gone. Biggs had left for the Academy. Right. And so what we see is we just see these teenagers on this backwater planet and what life is like for them. Mm-hmm. There is the first two characters we see are um, Cammy and we also have Fixer. Fixer, yeah. Now, uh, they have longer names. We're just going to stick to what they're called. Um, everyone seems to have a nickname in Luke's friends group. And again, yeah. I think that goes back to Lucas's like hot rotting days where mm-hmm. everyone had cool, semi cool, but you probably didn't pick it nicknames yes. that everyone ended up with. For and the sure. thing we first see is that Cammy and Fixer are, are going to be our townies because they're in love. They're sort of like she's sort of like wrapped on onto him and they are holding hands right from the word go. And Luke comes in and he's like, hey, you love birds. What's going on? Because he's he's like, come on, the spirit of adventure, not settling down and having a pleasant life here on this planet. This place sucks. You know, that is kind of the energy he brings into the room when they look like they were, if not sleeping, we're just like taking in a moment of like, yeah, man, I can just sit here forever. Yeah, no, this is nice. Yeah, they were chilling. Hey, look alive! Yeah, what what do they got to look alive for? He's like, are they working there? Like, what is Luke saying? I get the feeling that, like, Tashi Station is a MacGuffin. It's like a vending machine in the back of this thing. <laughs> like, because it doesn't, it's not set up like a shop. There's just parts everywhere. Yeah. And it just looks like a garage the kids work out of. Yeah. And he walks over and we basically see, like, two more people. We see Wendy and Deke who are just these two guys who are, are fairly good friends, and they're talking up Biggs as Luke comes in and goes, Biggs, what the heck are you doing here? I know you got back in town. Yeah, he's so pumped to see his friend. And he's like, this is amazing. But you know what's even more amazing? There's a star battle happening upsta- up there. You got to see it. Yeah, they all run outside to look, and Biggs look up and goes, that's not a battle, kid. They're just standing still. It's just a ship floating up there. What are you talking about? Maybe they're like refueling or something. Yeah, nothing to worry about. And and Cammy, the woman, just kind of pushes forward, grabs the electric binocular. She starts looking up and she's like, yeah, wormy. They're just sitting there. <laughs> and Fixer kind of comes up and just like puts his hand on her shoulder. She kind of reaches back because they're like, you get the feel that Fixer's like, we can go back inside now. We don't have to, you know, 
<laughs> we don't have to look at this stupid stuff. <laughs> this kid's an idiot. And yes. they all sort of just retreat back in. Cammy like throws the electro binoculars like, hey, these are expensive. As <laughs> Luke's just very dejected by this whole experience. Yeah, he's upset, but he's still happy to see his friend and Biggs and him spend a few more minutes together talking. Basically, Biggs tells him that, hey, went to the Academy, learned a few things about what the world is actually like. I'm jumping ship, going to try and join the Alliance. And Luke is like, what? What are you talking about? Well, you could have finished the Academy and get your commission and get out of this backwater. In fact, actually, why are you back on this backwater? <laughs> well, Biggs basically tells him, hey, I'm here just for the night. Just wanted to let you know, never coming home again. Just wanted to tell someone. <laughs> I'm basically here for an overlay. Yeah. I'm going to jump my transport yeah. as soon as I leave this planet. Yeah. And then assuming this happened in the Star Wars universe, even though it's not technically in the film, that means just like that next day luke is leaving did he ever tell anybody biggs is uh thing he's never coming back yeah do fixer cammy yeah Wendy you think Deke, do they relay, ever know that did he relay the message i doubt it dropping the ball you're right luke is a terrible character ryan johnson ruins everything oh my gosh no i okay this character never makes mistakes you're here's telling me here's the thing that night after he's like well we'll have to look for that droid tomorrow more morning all right i gotta go text my friends <laughs> I'll just go on the holonet, send him a text message. Big's never coming back. Hyphen L. <laughs> <laughs> that just, should do it. That just, should explain just, it. Just put that up on the uh, the the I the needle re- yeah. subreddit for uh, racers around. Uh, you know, Moss Eisley. I think Cammy and Fixer are okay with it. I think they're just like finally a little more peace. I yeah. I feel like they, the interesting thing about them is so all of these characters get a touch more development. Some of them showed up, like Deke shows up in the comic books, um, in the later Dark Horse comic books. Um, Tank is developed as a guy who stays in the Empire. He oh, goes the opposite path of Biggs. Interesting. He, he achieved the Academy, and he's still conflicted, but he's he got off he's planet there. thanks to the Empire. Yeah. So he's a little more yeah. you know, open to the idea. Yeah. Um, and Cameron and Fixie, uh, Fixer and Cammy get married, <laughs> which sure. makes sense, and sure. they just stay townies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, Wendy doesn't do Mm -hmm. much, but the point of the matter is they were also more important to me growing up because one of the first things I interfaced with was, um, audiobooks, as Mm -hmm. I've mentioned, again, if you listen to my solo episode from, (laughs) I don't know if that was, I think last October or something like, uh, there, I, I talked about audiobooks and how important those were to me. And the probably best produced audiobooks ever to come out of Star Wars are the BBC productions of the original trilogy. Um, each one of them weighs in at like seven to nine hours mm-hmm. of full cast dramatic readings. Mm-hmm. And so almost everything gets a little more breathing room in that just because you have the time. And so that cut scene from Anchorhead is in this story. And you learn a little bit more about like, you know, what going through Beggar's Canyon is. There's mm-hmm. the stone needle that, the, you know, is famous for it's dangerous, but people will eye it. They'll zip through it on their swoops or on their you know, sky hoppers and, mm-hmm. um, and sort of the race culture, like <laughs> the, the, the kids who are, you know, doing the, uh, illegal street races here in Tatooine. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And I think it helps because what it really does is it makes the scene where Luke has to walk away, have a little bit more weight. It gives him a reason to stay besides his family because Correct. the whole purpose of kind of the Tatooine stuff is basically 
Luke can't leave because he's tied to his family, because he feels this obligation, right? He can't answer the hero's call because he's got these familial ties. And once his family is murdered and he is basically uh, sort of shoved into the rebellion through this Kenobi guy, you know... And, and, and in the <laughs> audio yeah, play, it's yeah. sold a little bit because Aunt Peru says, you know, like, oh, and he's not a farmer. Most of his yeah. friends are gone. Yeah. It kind of sets up that the the four characters we're talking about are not Luke's deepest friends. They are yeah. friends, but like yeah. Luke's once Biggs, once Biggs was gone, yeah. his his friend groups are pretty much gone. It, it's OK. Maybe I'm reading too much into <laughs> this from my own life, but it's it's the. When you left for college and then you come back and see the people that didn't go to college and you have that awkward conversation and you find out that, you know, a lot of them are perfectly happy, perfectly fine, but their life didn't change. Whereas a lot of us, you know, we go to college and learn a lot about Mm. ourselves and change a lot about who we are and work on that. And there's nothing wrong with people staying townies and stuff like that. But like, I think you can kind of see the fact of like, you realize you are not necessarily from your town in the sense of like, you know, some people are meant to live that, that simpler existence, being a moisture farmer, like, mm-hmm. you know, fixer is probably a person who was meant and fine mm-hmm. with living on Tatooine mm-hmm. his whole mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Biggs and Luke are not, they had to leave. Yeah. They needed to find fulfillment in some way. And you can't always find fulfillment where you're born. You know, that's one of star no. Wars earliest lessons. Uh, to you as a viewer, sometimes you will change from the time you're 19. You will grow up and you will learn and you will develop and you will uh, find things that fulfill you. And that's what these characters are trying yeah. to do. Even in episode one, when Anakin leaves, we have that bittersweetness of like, there's a part of him who's like, this is, I know this place and it's safe and it's, a, mm-hmm. I'm a slave and that sucks. But like, mom, you're here. I want to stay. And, and his mom's like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I know yeah. a lot more about the world than you, and you have an amazing opportunity. And as a good mother, I cannot let you do anything other than leave. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't. It's like you can't let a kid blow an opportunity like that, right? Yeah. No matter how hard it is on you. He's getting accepted into the gifted school. <laughs> <laughs> and we promise, we promise, Miss Skywalker, he will keep all his limbs. He will not be burned in any way. Wait, wait. If he follows the Jedi code as we instruct him, he'll be safe from all harm. <laughs> Now, if he's a renegade wild child who's too old for the training, I guarantee you start falling off. But the important thing is, at the uh, Jedi Academy, we are very, very well off, and we believe in a universal basic income, basic healthcare, dental, vision, you know, the whole wor- works. We have an entire forensics lab in our basement. Mm-hmm. We supply ships, all mm-hmm. the necessary things. Clothes mm-hmm. are provided for you, mm-hmm. for you. You'll even have a chance to get a Dagon or, you know, kyber crystals to power your lightsabers. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good de- deal. If you just sign here, right here on the dotted line that you... Uh, essentially sell your truck. I mean, Mm -hmm. no, we're not slaves. We're not slave owners. He just can't leave the order ever. I know that sounds like slavery, especially you, ma'am. You're a slave. But (laughs) in reality, it's indentured servitude. The Senate Mm -hmm. did define it as a separate legal category. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, slavery is not legal in the Republic. (laughs) Of course not. Wink, wink. Uh, It's not legal. Very ironclad contracts are extremely legal. (laughs) So those are Luke's friends. So those are Luke's friends. And again, it's kind of a fun scene. If you get a chance to check it out, like you said, it is on the Blu-ray. Yeah. And it's on the Blu-ray. It's on Disney plus. I did check to see if it was there. So you can go check it out. Oh, okay. Let me, let me ask you a Mm -hmm. question. Was it just the black and whites? Cause when I've seen it, it's always been like, well, I shouldn't say when I've always seen it. The first time I saw it, 
The yeah. one that was on behind the magic was black and white. It looked like the 16 millimeter dailies that they used mm. to like review. Um, so the one that is currently available on Disney Plus, since I think that's the one most people would go we and check, see, yeah. yeah, is uh, it's you know the original film. It's not touched up in any way, but it is color. It is color. And it, okay. I mean, actually, it probably has been touched up when they digitized it, but it still has the grain and the noise in the film, and sure. you know, it's not like an HD upscale like they've done with everything else star wars my suspicion is probably that is the original master and the reason i probably saw it in black and white was it was probably easier to compress down to a cd rom yeah probably but it uh it is in color you know and it is the full five and a half minute scene they have there uh definitely worth checking out or if you own the blu-rays you know as well uh yeah it's a great little flavor yeah. Little flavor piece. It is. It's fun. It's it's fun to see how tiny Tashi Station is and how much it's still kind of the center of their world, you know, Anchorhead and all that. Um, it's fun to see Luke have a little bit more of a personal connection. Some of the lines Luke has here, they're very Hawnish. They're mm. they're very like snarky and like like that'll never work. You know, like they're, yeah. they're just they're I mean, they're young Luke and it's fun. It's fun because some of them feel a little it's non-Star Wars-y because we, you know. The thing I like about Luke in early days, and you don't, you can piece it together. It's not the most obvious parts of his character, but I, this scene really sells the kid. He's like, I'm not a decent, I'm a pretty decent pilot myself. <gasps> What's that flashing? <laughs> like where he's got that dual thing. He's very confident in what he thinks he knows, yeah. but he also is probably not nearly as knowledgeable as he wants to be. <laughs> it's a little bit of a show. Cause like when he's like, I'm not a bad pilot myself. I'm like, yeah, on like a like a land speeder, kid. Like yeah. you didn't know what a deflector Just shield. You can drive a Vespa doesn't mean you should be riding this giant motorcycle yeah, down the yeah, highway. Yeah. Just because you can drive a car fast doesn't mean you know how to fly a plane. <laughs> um, but speaking of which, let's move on to some other topics. Let's do it. So those kids who are, you know, messing around, wasting time, as Uncle Owen would say, a lot of them were playing around with their skyhoppers. Now, skyhoppers to me are, are kind of interesting because they are, A, the only sort of like, for lack of a better term, aircraft we see in Star Wars until, um, you know, Empire Strikes Back with the snowspeeders. Like, just the idea of, like, these stay in atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing about it is, it is one of the most interesting pieces to me of Star Wars New Hope of that lived-in universe they were trying to build. Because there's a scale model one that Luke walks past twice in the movie. Yeah. And other than him playing around with the little yeah. model kit of yeah. it, it it barely exists. And as far as you tell in all versions of script, it barely exists. Well, he probably got the model when they bought the Skyhopper. It was like that they pre-ordered it and they got that as like a... Well, my wife and I want to use it for uh, crop dusting. It's like, all right, well, you know what? If you buy it today and you get the coat of Under Armour for it to make sure that it doesn't get rust when you get snowy around here, I tell you what, I'll throw out a model for the kid. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, because Lars has got to be doing well. I mean, did you see the hood ornament on his on his land speeder? 
It's pretty nice. I think it's, it's flashy. like it's like a space Lexus. How do you... at least a Buick? I, I you know maybe they were just had better times when Luke was younger, and then as he grew up, eh, money got a little tighter. So you know, you know the 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 harvests of you know like eleven BBY those were a lot better than they were <laughs> these days before the Empire. Oh man, uh, <laughs> things were better when my dad was alive and. Your dad was not here. Anyway, Luke, go get on those things or I'll, or there'll be hell to pay. <laughs> huh. Huh. My father was a great pilot. I don't know. I met him for like a two hour layover. He yeah. seems the girl he, he was dark. with were all like light fabrics, not great for the sand. Yeah. She seemed like royalty. She just didn't know what was going. Some sort of princess. Uh, but you know what? She was quite a looker. What, 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 Baru? No, I, I don't mean it that way. I, I mean, she's pretty, but she, that was pretty as you. I mean, uh, Luke, get out on those fields. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the T-16 is this yeah. funny, like, triangular shaped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know. Let me try and describe would you it. describe it? So it's kind of Imperial shuttle-like. I mean, it's the probably yeah. the closest thing that we see to what the Skyhopper looks like. So it's sort of like a triangular body. It's like, imagine a three dimensional triangular shape with what? Three wings, right? One out with, of the top. Like the shuttle to yeah. and these two wings coming out like 45 degree mm-hmm, angles mm-hmm. out of the bottom. And then you've got the central, you know, um, mm-hmm. triangular cockpit that's split down the middle. Cause that split goes up the windshield of it and into the main wing. That's like straight up and out of it. Okay. Okay. Um, and then one of the other things is it has a big swivel gun thing underneath of it. Yeah, that's where the plastic missile shoots out of. Uh, in the toys, yes. 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 I would say that this is where um, when Luke is just, m- you know, murdering indigenous life forms, this is yeah. the thing he uses Six to bullseye. Six large rats. Yeah, the bullseye womp thing. rats in that T-16. Yeah. yeah. Um, which fun. is where the fun thing about the Skyhopper is. The Skyhopper, ironically, Skyhopper is not canon in the original run of the movies that came later that name is not canon is what you're saying the t16 is because luke mentions it on screen of that's ah, not much different than bullseye and Womp Rants and my t16 back home sure and so apparently that's what it was now in expanded canon as it goes out this is essentially a training device from the incom corporation Incom, who builds the X-Wings, which mm-hmm. is one of the ways that we sort of explain why Luke can sort of get used to an X-Wing, because the uh, piloting controls mm-hmm, are very similar mm-hmm. between the different products from the same company. Makes sense. Okay. Um, and then the thing with the T-16 is it's primarily, it's 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 an airplane, you know? It's, <laughs> it's for getting around sure. on uh, terrestrial planets, and I think for Luke's case, you know, I think you could see it like a crop mm-hmm. dusting plane. Mm-hmm. I mean... Again, we mentioned in the last segment, I don't know how crop dusting works, if it works on moisture vapors. I don't know. Maybe you saw the land. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, sure. My guess is that Luke did two things with it. One, probably maybe getting rid of womp rats. Maybe mm-hmm. that is actually a thing. Is like you get in that and then you patrol your huge area where yeah. all your evaporators are looking for yeah. any like down stuff. You know, Maybe the womp rats drink the water or they attack the evaporators. Right. Or, or looking out for Tuscan raiders mm-hmm. and you can kind of safely like take pot shots off them, at them to scare them away. Mm-hmm. Like I could see a lot of reasons for the same reason mm-hmm. that like ultralight and smaller aircraft are used in the rural areas of our world. Um, 
But I think the other thing that Luke used it for was to go mess around with his friends at Tashi Station and hot ride the snot out of that thing and his land speeder and whatever else he could get his hands on. I'm assuming those micro binoculars of him, macro binoculars aren't even stock. He's probably messed with those, too. I think he likes to fix things. You know, well, he's got a knack for it. You could probably I think say. he's got a little too much of his father in him. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's funny because Luke and Anakin obviously have some similarities, Mm -hmm. but there is one thing that Luke had to deal with that Anakin never had to deal with. What's that? That is the Sarlacc. Oh, that's true. Luke had to deal with it. Anakin never, as far as I can tell, right? No Sarlaccs in the Clone Wars. No, Mos Espa's like way north of where, where we're talking about anyway. Yeah. So, Well, hmm. I think, do you want to talk about the Sarlacc next? Sure, why not? the choice of being left frozen in carbonite or Mm -hmm. being digested over a thousand years what would you choose i'm gonna go with carbonite see that does seem like the easy choice but you never get to die so if you're a species that believes in an afterlife so here's my question about that is do you because i would probably say that eventually at some point carbonite's preserved you but i don't know if it actually you get freezer burn do, and that's do, it. Well, do you think it's suspended animation? Or do you think, like, Han actually did age that amount of time? Just he's perfectly encased and his metabolism, all that stuff's really, really, really low. Yeah. Like, do you think he was really famished when he got out of there and, like, really needed to poop? Like, I, I could see that. I always took it as it was an instantaneous freeze. Meaning wherever you were when you were frozen, whatever state your body... So if you were digesting so, something... Your body froze in the digestion process. So suspended animation. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's the dream of cry, cryogenics or cryonics. It's the yeah. idea that if we could freeze you fast enough so your cells don't burst from the ice, you could be basically stuck like that. Flash for, frozen. Yeah, almost indefinitely. That's interesting. That's how but I always Think about it this way. That's yeah. kind of the question there, right? Is do you want to die freezing mm-hmm. or do you want to die being mm-hmm. acidically mm-hmm. eaten? Maybe freeze me in the carbonite and then throw me into the sarlacc, so I don't know I'm being digested over a thousand years. Yeah, throw me. Yeah, while I'm in the carbon. Well, and then then in case like it just like the circuitry fails, you kind of unfreeze from you. Like, oh god, where did I wake up to? Oh god, and you're yeah. just covered in tentacles and teeth. That's true. And- you would have to know before See, you were frozen. That and would be these are the terrifying. choices that I'm assuming that Han Solo looks back on his time on <laughs> Tatooine uh, in the later years and kind of goes. Did I have that choice? Because he gets unfrozen from the carbonite yep. and has hibernation sickness, can't see a dang thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and thankfully, his friends rescued him to be sent out to uh, the Dune Sea, to the Great Pit of Carcoon, where he will be, as you stated, 
thrown into the pit and digested over thousands of years. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. you know, we say thousands of years, but I'm like, you're going to die well before we get there. Your, your, yeah, your you're bones will last. still be churning yeah. around inside yeah. that, you know, yeah. garbage disposal. Your best scar might be able to float around in there for a bit, but not, maybe that not might be body. in there for. Yeah, I think that's going to give you indigestion. That probably will. What are we yeah. talking about? <laughs> Talk about the Sarlacc. <laughs> OK, just making sure <laughs> we've been very meandery this episode. We it's have, kind of fun. Well, that's because our topics are small. Smaller than we thought, I think. Uh, when yeah. I looked, when I looked at like Luke's friends, and then I hit the like, okay, go to canon. I was like, oh, that's all that's left. <laughs> um, and we, I, I don't know. We keep talking about what we should do. We'll talk about the appendix. About yeah, that's the matter now because now we're so, talking about that beat creature, the Sarlacc. Now, so the first time we see Star- the Sarlacc is back in '83 with yep. Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, we have this just, you know. Uh, I guess it's just a pit trap, just this cone of sand yeah. diving so, in towards a central orifice. The pit of Carcoon, as as it is called, we have this giant old ancient beast that is just a giant mouth with teeth. Yep. I mean, that's what it is. It's a circle with teeth. And anything that falls into the circle, people scream, and then they disappear, and then the Sarlacc burps, and everybody wins. So it's basically, I mean, I think the best way to describe it, it's an organic garbage disposal. Yes. Um, those teeth, as far as I could tell, are, are just to keep things in. They're not even really to bite or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem maybe like to shred as it's going down. I kind of see it as like maybe at night, like like a like a Venus flytrap, it closes. Oh, okay, or something. okay, okay, okay. Um, the thing that, that we know about the Great Pit of Carcoon is it's been there forever. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, uh, not that it's necessarily canon, but I think even... Uh, uh, the Knights of the Old Republic story refers to the fact that they know there's a Sarlacc out at the Dune Sea mm, because interesting. these things are insanely long-lived. Yeah, they live, Tens it, of thousands like, of years. It takes like 30,000 years for them to reach maturity or something? Or yeah, didn't we, something like ridiculous? When we were looking it up, we were, according to yeah. the Topps Card Trader app, the back of the Sarlacc card, yeah, they reach yeah. maturity after 30,000 years crazy so that means that the sarlacc that we're seeing is older than the old republic so maybe the sarlaccs just really take their time well the sarlacc's kind of like a tree it Mm -hmm. doesn't move a lot which means it could probably live a really long time just as long as stuff keeps falling into it now maybe at one time back in the ancient days when tatooine was like a jungle or something that probably was easy but now i just assume he 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 sustains himself based on people like Jabba the Hutt going mm. like, whoa, what a great place to kill my enemies. Yeah, no evidence. Yeah. No one's going in there to get the body. Yeah, stormtroopers aren't going in there for forensics. And tracks just disappear right out of sand. It's amazing. Yeah, and I'm going to use it as sail barge. You won't even know that I flew by. <laughs> um, the perfect plan. I remember the first time I really got into this knowing about the Sarlacc was, I think it was one of the technical manuals, and it showed the sort of iceberg effect. You know, you talk about an iceberg that you see mm-hmm. the snow cap at the top. But the iceberg's much, much larger underwater, right? Same with the Sarlacc. The Sarlacc, they showed like, oh, you get this mouth, but that mouth is like maybe a fifth of its body. Yeah. The rest is this giant stomach full of acid. It's got these <laughs> weird arms with these kind of leafy ends where it yep. anchors itself into the sand. Yep, not going um, anywhere. And it's just this massive thing. I mean, it's, I mean, it, I think it's supposed to be probably... 20, 30 meters long. Like, yeah, it's, 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 big it's, it's a giant. I mean, it's a it's a freak of nature. You know, it's this thing that supplants itself and then is able to basically kind of adapt to the ecosystem around it, you know, finding mm-hmm. food. And um, 
it's fun because it is a set piece yes. for a film for an entire act. Yep. Right? Like it is the the pinnacle of a set piece for an entire act of a film. Uh and this monster that you've never heard of before, you've never seen before, right? Comes out of nowhere. And the monster is totally passive. That's what I love about it. It's not like, you know, the the Wampa on Hoth. It's not like it's going after its prey. This is just a monster who sits here and hopes food falls into it. Right. The The only advantages it has in the original shooting is like it has some tentacles that if you get close enough, the tentacle mm-hmm. just sort of wraps and just sort of mm-hmm. lazily draws you in like it's yeah. doing to Lando. If you weren't being pushed in by a gangster, you wouldn't fall in accidentally most And likely. if you had a blaster, you even if it got with a tentacle, if you shoot the tentacle enough, yeah. you can get away from it. Yeah, for sure. You can scamper back up that sand hill. But then the special edition came out and they said, mm, maybe this this Sarlacc's a little too a little too passive. Yeah. So they gave it a beak. Yep. Big old beak just so it could bulbous reach little out. chomper in the yeah. middle. Yeah, octopus style is how I like to think That's of it. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like octopus yeah. squid. The Other little, than just it's little... much bigger. Like an octopus relative to the size of its head and, and mouth and, is normally tiny. And I think not completely betraying the passive nature of the creature, it's also rather rather round. Like yeah. it's got a sharp edge to it. Like you, yeah. you it'll probably cleave limbs and all that kind of stuff. But like yeah. It's kind of round, which again reminds you of like this creature is not built for combat. It is not coming yeah. to kill you. Yeah. It's just it's again it's yeah. the garbage disposal. It's when not it's a Rathtar. It's not a Rathtar. Right. You know. Though Rathtars are almost like aggro sarlax. They, they they really are. They really are. I'm sure they're related. Because they got the teeth, but then the teeth rotate. Yeah. <laughs> in a Rathtar. Talk about a garbage disposal. I'm sure they're related. Um now the Sarlacc, much like the Rancor, is I think presented to us in the films as this is a unique creature. Mm, There's not many mm, of these running mm. around. And in star Wars, we've gone and added a whole bunch of them to the universe. Um, We we were looking at the Wikipedia page, Wikipedia page. And there's a frame from a comic book where apparently little ones before they get to that ripe, mature age, you know, we get to 18, they get to 30,000. They apparently can move along the surface with, I guess some speed, because yeah. Han's just running from one, and I'm just going like, they don't seem like the running type, but... Hey, I mean, they must be a threat. Uh, it's funny, it also says there that the males who are smaller will absorb nutrients from a female, and then when they get to be a certain size, explode. So their spores, you know, can disapparate and go out into the air and yeah. breed new sarlacc. Yeah, because this is a dysphoric creature. It sends yeah. these spores out into the universe, and, you know, most of them never become anything, but... Yeah. Every once in a while, one will stick to a planet, and then, boom, 30,000 years ago, you got your planet's got a garbage disposal built in. <laughs> what a fun invention. There really haven't been any good Sarlacc toys or play sets that I Where's can think of. Where's HasLab on that? Yeah. Where's my six-inch scale? Oh, beautiful. There is a, I do have a Sarlacc toy uh, a number of years ago, not long, a couple years ago now. They did a Jabba Skiff. That was a small set that came with just a tiny little Sarlacc beak, you know, that you could build that was just like 30 <laughs> pieces. So that was the, that's really the only Sarlacc merchandise I have in my collection, I think. I'm trying to think if, I'm trying to think if Lego, there's Jabba's Sail Barge, and I want to say maybe it has a little, like, just a little terrain piece that yeah. represent the Sarlacc. Yeah, same, the same, I, with the, not the, what, the Katana is his big one, right? What's the yeah. little one called? The one that Luke and Han are on? Uh, yeah, skiff. You said it's a, it's a, it's a skiff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. His. It has a name. I feel it's like a skiff versus yeah. a sail barge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, right. And I, like I said, when they made it in Lego, I think they they added a little bit of a sarlacc. Yeah. 
But the Sarlacc's, the Sarlacc's interesting, and let, let's talk about the probably the most famous, infamous, most loved, most hated part of the Sarlacc. It kills Boba Fett. It's the end of Boba Fett's story. He yeah. falls into it, and uh, now in canon, it burps, because mm-hmm. Beskar probably is not the most edible thing. <laughs> Mandalorian <laughs> iron is yeah. not meant to be digested for tens of thousands of years. Did not taste good going down. Yeah, no. and, it's, and as we've discussed many, many times, um, I think... Just about everyone is waiting for that to get retconned just because <laughs> Boba Fett's so interesting. And with the Mandalorian yeah. going, like the idea of Boba Fett's presence not being felt in that show in some way, whether in real time or not, is almost impossible to believe. Mm-hmm. But at least for the moment, yes, Boba Fett gets hit in the back of the head, smacks against the sail barge, falls mm-hmm. into it, and there's a burp. And just like that, the Sarlacc ends one of the uh, most well-known characters in all of Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Now, the last thing I want to say about the Sarlacc that's coming off of my mind is the Sarlacc is also interesting because all of that stuff mm-hmm. for that set piece battle mm-hmm. um, existed in the real world. They had all the the facade of the sail barge. They had the scale mo- the skiff that they stand on, and they built a scale model of the sarlacc that's where the stunt actors are falling into that's where you know uh, a bunch of stuntmen are pulling on that tentacle pulling you know billy d williams into its maw and uh there's a lot of people that have done a lot of archaeology in that part of the california desert and to this day keep finding chunks of it just blocks of styrofoam pieces of the teeth because it's the middle of the desert they just left it out there and the desert swallowed it back up yeah um and to this day, people find artifacts from it. And the Sarlacc was the one that was like the most complete because it did get buried with sand. So once you move the sand, it was mostly complete underneath there. Um, and I just think that's an interesting thing that there's a whole tribe of Star Wars fans who literally have a piece of the Sarlacc. That's very, very cool. Uh, it's great that so much of that stuff is still behind and, uh, you know, from episode four and then eventually episode six again. Mm-hmm. Um Lots of fans make pilgrimages there to yes. see it, and uh, and it's really really cool to see those pictures. Yeah, um, and uh, it's one of the few times where I'm like, okay, I can understand leaving your trash behind might have been the right idea in this case. <laughs> one of the few times I won't uh, malign them for leaving trash around, even in the 70s. And you know what? Tons of fans are going out there and making sure that trash is getting reused. It's so reused, it's... which is way better than it ending up in a dump, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Over by those ET cartridges, yep. we are finding ways to yep. recover this junk and make yep. something of it. Yep. It can sit on your bookshelf forever. All right. So uh, I think that's all I have to think of to say about the Sarlacc. Yeah. I mean, the Sarlacc's a lot of fun. I'm, it's great we have it. Uh, give us a toy so we can throw our Boba yep. Fett's into it. Yeah, scale. I want. I want to be able to fit him inside the belly of the solid yeah, pit. Yeah, I think that's only reasonable. I think it's the only way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up.
right, so we are going to land this podcast. We're just going to drop it off right here, out here in the sand dunes of Tatooine. Why isn't there a Biggs Black Series figure in the six inch? They made one in the three and three quarter. I don't know. He definitely seems enough and from the OT enough that, like, I'm surprised he hasn't been drafted into the six inches. Now that we've gotten a wedge, I think Biggs, I mean, we have. Let's we put it this wedge. way. We have Elo Asti. There's a Jensen before there was a Biggs. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. That does not feel right, that does it? How about a Porkins if we're doing Biggs? Oh, if we get to Big, Oh, I hope they do Porkins. Porkins would be, Porkins would be great. Porkins would it's going to cost great. you a little bit more. He's like a fifth. He's, he's, like ah, he's a deluxe. Yeah, he's a deluxe. He's a deluxe. Yeah, that's funny. We're, I'm a deluxe too. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I really like... Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Me too. I, you know, I really like episode four. I really like that we did these fun little topics today. Um, you know, we spent some time on Tatooine, uh, where all of Star Wars starts. Well, I think the funny thing is, I think we originally scheduled this episode back in like May because we're like, oh, we'll do something about episode four. And then we were like, yeah. global pandemic. Yeah, and then we did got pushed back. I don't remember why, but yeah, we definitely it got pushed, pushed it. back. And I just yeah. remember like looking at our show notes of like, oh, this is what we're on here in the middle of august okay sure sure Sure. hey we did it yeah no i think it was really fun because i i like i said i had especially luke's friends and the t16 like those are two things that were like somewhat important to me because like i said those really played into the audio dramas and every Mm -hmm. time i listen to the audio dramas those first three i was like i've got secret knowledge i know what's really going on in between some of those scenes of the movies and these people don't understand it because they don't (laughs) listen to british radio dramas you had an advantage. Uh, I would yeah. say, though, uh, I really encourage people to listen to them. Uh, if you want to go on the run with them, they're available through Audible um, and audiobook play stores. But I'll also be honest. I'm pretty sure they're on uh, YouTube and uh, the BBC iPlayer for free because they are products of the British government given to British citizens freely. Interesting. Yeah. Because the BBC still produces a lot of those. Maybe with yeah. licensing, you still have to purchase it. But, like, it's yeah. around. Yeah. And I think they're not that expensive, especially for the content you get. And the nice thing is not all of, but a lot of the characters are the actual actors. You know, like Luke Skywalker's played by Mark Hamill and Billy D. Williams plays Lando. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Daniels is C-3PO. So, sure. like, most of the folks are sure. what you'd expect. I don't think Carrie Fisher or Harrison Ford contributed, but... Yeah. Very interesting. You know, I've listened to some Star Wars audio dramas before, but I've never heard the uh, BBC productions. I know you've told me about them a lot, so definitely something worth looking into for me. So I'll let you know when I start those. I did finish my Dr. Aphra audio book, or sorry, audio drama, so uh, don't have any uh, Star Wars to listen to right now. (sighs) Did you see that uh, exclusive set on Mondo of the Mandalorian soundtrack? So it's yes. eight, eight vinyls, yeah, it's yes. eight dollars. Uh, so I am, uh, I'm a good mark for Mo- for uh, Mondo. Yeah, Mondo does a lot of really cool deals and a lot of really cool art. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I just got this week, um, pre-ordered them a while ago. Um, the deluxe edition of the Jurassic Park soundtrack from them on uh, like a translucent yes. green uh disc which is nice which if you're a real audiophile yes you should get the 200 gram black but i'm not that much of an audiophile i will get the cool novelty ones i think they look neat yeah totally uh and i also got the back to the future soundtrack not the score but the huey lewis and the news earth angels all that stuff 
Which is one of the best movie uh, soundtracks of all time, and the cool in my thing, opinion. And the cool thing with Mondo is they go the distance and like try to make all of the components of it really nice. Because like that Back to the Future has a new uh, Drew Suzanne photo or uh, drawing and painting. I heard on about it. that. Yeah, I heard about that. I, so, I, uh, I didn't know you got it though. That's so great. it's nice. I looked at the Mando and I'm just like, as much as I love that soundtrack, I don't yeah. know. I think I could buy all of it if that was like a single disc with like the top like six to eight tracks yeah. from the Mando score, I would probably buy it. But if I could buy them individually, I'm not buying the box set either. Cause 200 bucks. Yeah. Uh, I also was a good guy and did not buy the Skywalker saga 4k Blu-ray thing. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? I, yep. I didn't, um, yep. for the first time I, I decided not to, uh, for a couple of reasons. One don't own a 4k TV, uh, or player. So that, plays into it you know oh but that's also, okay i bought the star wars blu-rays long before i had a blu-ray yeah, player and uh, at the time i didn't own a television set because nice. i was in between living places nice uh but it had star wars <laughs> on the box so you got it yeah uh i do own those but i didn't get this i uh what was i saying before that <laughs> you didn't go you didn't leap on the oh yeah but with the with the mando mondo albums yeah i would uh if i could buy just one like, yeah. if I could buy just the Sanctuary record so I could have the Pawns of Sorgan uh, uh, yeah, yeah. on vinyl, I think I would do it. But, yeah, I'm not buying the set. <gasps> Pawns of Sorgan is a hit. It's That's... my favorite track from all the Mando, I've decided. And it's up there as one of my favorite Star Wars tracks. It's just Because it, it channels a lot of that serenity you get in, like, Leia and Yoda's theme. Mm-hmm. Like, that just sort of, like, quiet peacefulness. It has everything. It has the quiet, peaceful parts at the beginning. It has kind of that like heavy metal middle section. And then it transcends into the symphonic Star Wars stuff at the end. And it's just like this great. It just gets me pumped up. It gets me excited. It feels like Star Wars. Love it. I think the coolest thing about the Mando soundtrack is the fact that it it is its own identity. But it's, I guess the best way to put it is, it is not trying to make John Williams music for the most part. That's right. It, it references John Williams music because yeah. John Williams music, if you've never heard, is the yeah. oxygen of Star yeah. Wars. Yes. But what I like about it is it kind of goes in its own direction. But the thing it really focuses down on is these light motifs. Mm-hmm. The Mandalorian has a theme. Mm-hmm. The child has a theme. And he works those into other pieces that make later episodes and later soundtracks. Did you see the music video? Put out a music video for the Mandalorian theme with Luke. Oh, no. Yeah, check it no, out. Oh, I gotta fun. check that out. Yeah, it's just literally a music video. It's great. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and it's just like it showed him in his studio, and it's just it's cool. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. So it's check that such, out. And and uh, and I think it's exciting because I think the Mandalorian again represents the idea of yes, you can do Star Wars differently, and you can do things that would not be something you'd expect from an episode movie without losing the the DNA mm-hmm. that needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and to be honest, I think Rebels and Clone Wars do a fairly serviceable job considering how much coverage they have of, in the music department of, again, yeah. referencing John Williams, but finding some of their own stories and some of their mm-hmm. own threads. But I think, I think as Mandalorian is so much smaller, they were, the composer got to go a lot deeper yeah. into each episode and give them all their own identity. For sure. And let's hope season two can, continues on that trend because I loved it. Oh man. There's not a world where I can see season two being bad, but now I'm just yeah. going like, I mean, I guess it could be. It won't be, but it could be. But it could be. It's a terrible threat. But it won't be. It won't be. It no, won't be. we have faith here. Uh, you know, we're both big fans of Gosh, season that, one. You know, they haven't announced it. Else. I was really expecting like this week to get the announcement of when Mando season two is like what its launch date is. Yeah. Because 
in another world in another time when we weren't in a vi virus ridden hellscape uh i i and our mutual friend chris would be down at celebration right now yeah celebrating however i am not in yeah. galaxy what, what, Okay, so the day we're recording, or no, the day you're hearing this is Wednesday. On Wednesday, I would be going to my second day at Galaxy's Edge and probably getting my lightsaber that day in that better other world. <laughs> and then the Thursday, we go to merch night and hopefully get merch, but then it'll all be sold out before I get there, like every Star Wars Celebration experience I've had. And then I go to a lot of fun panels and things on Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. It would have been amazing. So hopefully we'll get a Mando trailer this week. Meets. That's what we're hoping I, I for. Am, there is a part of me that hopes that next time we, we talk that we will have some Star Wars news. Because, again, mm -hmm. I just feel there was stuff that would have mm -hmm. been triggered this week that I just feel some of it could. Because if Mando's coming out in October, which is what most people are expecting, yeah, you would think we would know the date. Yeah. I don't even expect them to give me a trailer necessarily since Star Wars Celebration isn't happening. Yeah. But, like, I do expect them to, like... I would expect now that it's September, the month to go to it. Yeah. We would start the hype engine of like, get ready. That reason you paid for Disney plus is coming back. I would imagine. I would imagine. Yes. I really think we've got to be close to hearing. Uh, I have faith that they'll show us when time is right. I really hope we start to see more merchandise. We're finally seeing this wave of merchandise from season one. Right. Like, you know, we're finally getting like the art book and we're getting, you know, all the like I was at Target <laughs> the other day and you could buy like the little child figures, you know, the ones see. that are like them in different poses. Yeah. What I see it is it's just basically the people at Lucasfilm Lightstein are like, OK, Whew. we finally got a got got over child demand. We are finally starting to oversaturate the market with the child. Finally, we did it. Yeah, <laughs> we totally missed that trick with Amanda launch that we should have had baby Yoda stuff everywhere yes, yes 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 and so now as the hype train starts to roll again closer to season two they will be prepared with plushes galore i yeah i i think um did you get the big i have it pre-ordered but i'm honestly i might cancel it the big it's like the 10 inch scale so the giant pop and mm. it's mando and he's got the chrome which is awesome because it looks cool and yeah. it's carrying the child no, I so I don't I don't collect. Pop. I know you're not a pop. I have guy. a hand of full yeah. of pops, and I'm not against them. But like, I think the problem I have with pops is like just looking at yeah. the number and how descriptive each figure is. Like yeah. child with chrome variant, and like I'm just yeah. like, oh my god, I'm just exhausted thinking of collecting these things even before I've yeah. bought them. Like it's interesting because they're built, in my opinion, they're built for a world for a world of collectors who are casual. Right. Like Funko is, I think, as successful as it is because we can buy my brother-in-law uh, Doug and Patty Mayonnaise pop. Right. Or a right. cat dog pop. Right. right? It's not the, that my cousin the, wants or my brother-in-law wants every cat dog pop. Right. Like he doesn't need the mouse and uh, double play set with the house and whatever. You know, like, uh, you know, he just we bought them for him as a gift. He'll have them and whatever. Right. Like, I think with Funko, there are people who take it super seriously, obviously hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And collect for real. But at the same time, I think the reason it's so successful is because it can be collected by casual people. I think, I think the biggest success for Funko is they tapped into the, the Japanese kawaii market. The idea of like, here's a cutified version of blank in a way that like just worked for uh, most people. I'm still not necessarily a fan of not every character looks great with the dead bird eyes, yeah. but like, 
like I, the first pop I ever got was a Star Lord, mm-hmm. and so he has just kind of dead round eyes with his helmet on anyway, so yeah. it looked perfectly fine. Uh, adds up, yeah. And then I got like BB-8 and BB-8, and <laughs> like I think I eventually got uh, Marty and Doc. Mm-hmm. What else do I have? I've got a handful of other ones, but like yeah. they're mostly like. I think Marty is like Marty and Doc are the only ones that are like humans yeah. that are pop figures. And then like I think that I think you're right in the sense that um I think Funkos are interesting because there are so many of them. Most people are reasonable and go, There's no universe I can collect all of them. That's impossible. <laughs> so I'm not even gonna try. I'll yeah. just collect this subset and then they'll keep making that harder with Chrome versions and yes. San Diego Comic Con exclusives yes. and all this kind of stuff. But I think the real trick to Funko that reminds me of Japanese toy makers is like I said, there's that kawaii, that cutify thing. But something that Japan's really different about than our market is they're much more like, hey, I went over to that company and I said, hey, can we do this? And we made a handshake and now we have the licensing rights to the XYZ. Because the most amazing thing about Funko is they have licensed everything. Yeah. Like there doesn't seem to be a single license out there that they haven't had some ability to get some product in the channel. Yeah. Of the only one I can think of, and these days, who knows? Because of how different things have been, it might change. Nintendo. I was to say Nintendo's about the only one. Yeah, and that makes sense because two factor. Nintendo is always been super protective of their brand. That's true, but that seems to really be changing. They are getting more open ended, but I think there's two other things that would surprise me if Funko Pops ever come out in Lego. Or I'm sorry, Lego is the reason yeah. why I go. They could come out because yeah. Lego now has it and for the for eons yeah um if you looked at curioso which became lego ideas which is the fans pr- pitch an idea to lego if you get ten thousand people to agree with it and then become a hundred thousand people then what will happen is lego will actually review it and see if it's something they make and there's been a lot of great sets that have come out of that kind of mm-hmm. basic fan demand and every single like review session they've had a leg lego nintendo and they're always mm-hmm. like no, Nintendo will never work with us. They've licensed all their stuff to um, Mega Bloks, yeah. so we will never get that license. But that has changed, which is wild. Um, so maybe it could happen. But the other thing about it is you got to remember that a Nintendo is way less protective of it in Japan, where again they can have a lunch with the owner of that company and shake hands and feel that you know something mutual yeah. happened there. So they're more likely to give those licenses to like Play Art and some of the other Japanese toy companies. And I think the last piece of the puzzle is I think Nintendo really likes making like Amiibo and stuff because yeah. Nintendo was a toy company for 120 years yeah. or whatever. So that is a reason why I could see it not happening is the fact that they have made Amiibo and other figures in the past. But I, I still... I'm sure top people in Funko yeah. are doing everything in right. their human power. They were never going to get uh, Star Wars and, you know, and then they have Star Wars. They're never going to get. Uh, the office and then they get the office they were never going to get pokemon and then they had pokemon you know they can get all these other brands that tend to be holdouts and you would think that pokemon would be the crowbar in in the works but yeah. i think in reality that just shows again that game freak the com- yeah uh, i'm sorry the pokemon company which is partially yeah. owned by game freak the yeah. pokemon company and nintendo yeah. nintendo only has a third share in that company yeah. and that is why everyone small pokemon go places that nintendo will never let anything go um, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's so interesting. It is. It is. I learned a lot this week on Nintendo all in. 
What? Oh, yeah. I could write that shit. Yeah, I know you you could. know I could write that I shit. Heartbeat. Okay, last thing. I built the uh, the Lego NES. Yeah. It's amazing. It it's wonderful. Amazing. Learned a fun fact about it today. Oh, what? It cost more when adjusted for inflation than a Nintendo action set would have been when you bought it back in 1985. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of hilarious. That is. What is the price on that? Uh, 220 list. That's not awful, though. See, the thing is. It's not awful for Lego. Yeah. I think most people who are getting such sticker shock from yeah. it forget that, one, it's got a lot of unique parts to make. Yeah. It's a very unique set to make it, it as is. accurate as it is. And it's got the whole mechanical pieces inside yeah. the um, TV because uh, the Nintendo set has a scaled down model of the original Nintendo <laughs> Entertainment System yeah. with controller. Controller's close to one one hand size. The... The actual NES is maybe about a fifth of the size of a real NES. And then it's got this TV, and the TV has a crank on the side. And like an old, like, you know, parlor game, Mario will kind of get bounced around the screen of this rolling conveyor belt. And it looks like you're playing, you know, Mario Brothers, but it's all mechanical and built out of Lego. And so it's pretty amazing when you put it that way. Now, Star Wars fans who are Lego collectors also go, pfft. 220. What are you talking about? That's like a third of the Ultimate Collector Series Millennium Falcon. It's nothing. Um, which, I love Lego and I love Star Wars, but I don't love Lego yeah. and Star Wars that much. But yeah. but again, Star Wars fans who are really into Legos, like, again, it's not that bad of a purchase when you've looked at Star Destroyers and Tantive Fours and yeah. Scale X-Wings and Y-Wings and the Death Star playset. Like, Star Wars fans have already spent way more hundreds of dollars on Star Wars yeah, nonsense in Lego sure. Land. But this has that play factor. It does. Cranking that TV. It is the most enjoyable uh, Lego build I have ever done. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's really, really fun. Um, yeah, so that has nothing to do really with nope, Star not Wars. not at all. Um, uh, let's see. Stories of Light and Dark just came out. The Clone Wars kind of uh, retelling book. Oh, that's yeah, just yeah. basically Clone Wars episodes told in short story form. So that's fun. Almost like a, from a certain point of view for Clone Wars episodes because each one is told directly from the point of a single character. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's fun. I did get a chance to read this one a little bit early. Nice. Uh, just got my physical copy in the mail today. Uh, so I haven't even opened the box yet. Excited to look at that, but I hear the printing is very nice. Um, oh, it was a lot of fun. All of the all of the short stories, you know, are episodes that are already existing in Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. um, but a couple of them, like just to give you an example. Sure. The very first story is the episode, you know, where Yoda is meeting with the Toydarian King. And Ventress is yeah, there I think and challenges him. Yeah, it's like ambush. I think mm -hmm. it was like the first one to air. It, yeah. is, it is, yeah. Uh, and so it's not the first episode chronologically, but you're right, the first one to air. So ambush, uh, basically Yoda is um, told through his story. So he talks about, you know, what he's feeling internally and his thoughts and concerns about having a clone army for the Republic and things like that. So definitely uh, liked little... it a lot. It is, it is falling in, it falls, you know, even below young adult and falls in the kind of the young reader category. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's definitely a book you can read as an adult for sure. It's uh, not, you know, so, you know, so simplified or anything. Well, like you said, you get some of those nice, like peripherals, like, you know, seeing, like you said, you know, Yoda, we saw him act in that, but what what is he thinking? What What is going on inside his head a little bit? Yeah. Well, you were exactly. also talking about, like, we've joked on this show a lot that the, the universe, the spoke in which the universe of the galaxy spins now is a certain point of view, the book yeah. we quote entirely too often. Um, and it seems like that approach has kind of leaked out because which, which one of the 
Queen's books were you saying was kind of like that? Uh, the Queen's Peril. Peril. The newest Peril. one, but it's the first one chronologically. Yeah, that's right. Peril, I think. Right. And it kind of goes into, again, see you know see what some of these characters like, you know, Pan- Panaka and stuff are thinking while this is all going down. And yes. of course, we're going to double up the power of, of this book because on November 10th, <gasps> we get the other one. We've never been closer. Oh my God, we're so close. That'll be a day one, like drop everything and read till you're done. Oh, absolutely. Like that's what that'll you know, be for me. All right, I'm not going to promise it, fans, but I think I think we should do a special. We should do a special. Wait, should it do... could just be our episode that week. Well, I don't know. I might want to talk a lot about it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, we'll see. No promises, but we're definitely going to talk about it. Absolutely. That you should have no doubt of. All right. Well, until we get to that far-flung, beautiful mm. fu- future, my name's Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.